Blog Talk Radio. If it's smooth jazz, then the Jazz Queen is talking about it on Talking Smooth Jazz. Your place for all things smooth. Artist. Nicholas Cole. <laughs> Vincent Ngala. Jonathan Fritzen. And news with the smoothest show on the internet radio, your host, the Jazz Queen. And Mike Reynolds. Welcome to Talking Smooth Jazz. My name is Terry, a.k.a. the Jazz Queen. Mike, how are you? I'm doing okay, Terry. I'm doing all right and everything. So uh, how's everything going up in Vegas today? Good, good. First, let me just, give, you know, send you my condolences for the passing of your friend. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, kind of a stunner today. So, yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. And, All right. And, and one thing before we get started, so I got somebody that wants want to speak to you. Hold on. Hi. Hey, Jordan. How are you? <laughs> good. Good to hear your voice. You going to co-host with Daddy today? I talk to Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. That's so sweet. Mike, meet Tim Cunningham. Tim, this is my co-host, Mike Reynolds. Hey, Tim, how's it going today? Uh-oh, Tim, Tim? Oh, I lost Tim. Okay. Uh-oh. All right, we lost Tim. Uh, he'll call back in, hopefully. But, well, it's good to hear Jordan's voice. Yeah. Uh, so you, you're you're... Babysitting today or what? Yeah, daddy's on daddy duty today, so uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, let me see if I can um, get Tim back on the phone. I don't know what happened. Uh, let's see here. All right, so let's see if we can get Tim back on the phone. In the meantime, Mike, what is going on in your area? And then I'll let you know what's happening here in Vegas. Um, well, in this area, like I said, I'm not doing too much. They have the Norfolk Jazz Fest this weekend. Uh, Generation Next and a lot of other artists are down there performing right now as we speak. So that's another jazz festival that's, uh, you know, up in this area. Okay. All right. And for Vegas on July 31st, Brian Simpson will be here at Aliante Hotel and Casino um, do, uh, playing at their Jazz Under the Stars series. And um, that is going to be a show I am definitely looking forward to. Cannot wait to see him um, perform. So that is uh, Thursday, July 31st. For ticket information on that, you can go to AliantéGaming.com and get all the ticket information on that. That's going to be by the pool, so that's going to be really nice. Really nice. Okay, Tim, are you back? I am back. Okay, sorry we lost you. <laughs> no, I don't, I could hear you guys. I don't know what happened on my end. Oh. <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. Well, I was introducing you to my co-host, Mike Reynolds. Yep. Hey, Mike. Hey, Tim. How's it going today? I'm good, man. All right. Okay, so, Tim, I would like to start with your interest in the saxophone. Uh, what drew you to it? Ooh, that's a very good question. Nobody's really ever asked me that. Um, I started playing drums first when I was mm. in sixth grade, and... 
probably because my brother played drums in high school. And I played for one year, uh, got kind of bored with it. Um, and then we took a test in school for uh, reading lines and spaces because as a drummer, of course, you don't really have to do a lot in terms of reading the lines and spaces because you're, you know. But then the teacher said, hey, look, you guys are going to have to read the lines and spaces because you're going to be playing xylophone. Mm-hmm. So I totally flunked the test. So, <laughs> um, so I said, hey, man, just give me a saxophone or something. It looked at, it looked uh, interesting. So I, within, a, within a couple of weeks, you know, I was, you know, really getting into it. I really liked it. I started playing stuff from television, um, figured out that I had a, a decent ear. And uh, it just, it kind of grew on me, and I kept going through high school. We, I fortunately had a high school jazz band and uh, went on to Michigan State and uh, continued on there. So that's, that's a, <laughs> so there was, I mean, there was no, nobody that really I saw playing a saxophone or anything like that. I mean, I knew Grover Washington was, David Sanborn was at that time, but uh, they did not really you know, give me incentive to, the incentive to want to play. Okay. So I read by the time you finished high school, you were a master at all three, tenor, alto, and soprano sax. Yeah, I was, uh, I got, I gained a lot, well, I played tenor first, and then I I slowly moved on to the alto and soprano. Um, I stopped playing tenor probably in college and uh, started picking up the alto, but I had a little bit better control of it. But more recently, I've been playing a lot more tenor as well. So, but and, and then I picked up the soprano as well. Very interesting, very uh, a different instrument in that the mouthpiece is so much smaller. Mm-hmm. But I find that a lot of people like the high pitch of the soprano. Mm-hmm. So, cool. Oh, and that's I tend to like the lower pitch. Uh, of the See, and it's, it yeah. just depends on who you are. Like some yeah. women like that low sound, and a lot of just just people. I mean, not just women, but people in general. They like to hear those high pitches. And I like the way you play the saxophone as well. You have a nice clean tone um, to your playing, and I like that a lot. You know, that's very critical uh, to me, anyway, uh, especially with, with in today's uh, sound. When you think about the guys back in the 40s and 50s, there was not a lot of emphasis on tone. It was more about mm-hmm. how fast can you play. <laughs> Most of the guys playing bebop music and that kind of stuff, it wasn't tone wasn't a big deal. It was like I said, it's more about the how fast you could play. But today we're playing more. Um, uh, I, I, I play more of an R&B style where I'm giving you the melody, the chorus, the bridge, so on and so forth. So it's, it's, it's really critical for me to, to have uh, a nice, smooth tone because it's it just when you, cause when you don't have one, people know it. It's, they don't mm-hmm. have a, a lot of people don't have great ears in terms of the actual notes you're playing, but they can tell when they hear sour notes and <laughs> when the tone is bad. So. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, you mentioned Grover Washington. Was he a heavy influence on you? Yes, after I picked up the saxophone, uh, like I said, I knew who he was, but you know, I wasn't really interested in being a saxophone player until, like I said, after I flunked that test. Um, <laughs> and then my director, you know, he turned me on to him and David Sanborn and some other guys that were playing at that time. And um, 
it became, you know, he became the focal point of my playing because he was the, that was the style I liked because it was more, to me, R&B instrumental music almost. It wasn't really jazz. The only okay. thing that was, that I considered, the only thing that was jazz to me was the fact that it's instrumental and that, that you heard a lot of soloing, but he always gave you the melody and the bridge and the chorus, he'd solo a little bit, come back to the melody, take the song out, just like a regular, you know, vocal song. So uh, he he really piqued my interest in my interest back then and uh, got a chance to meet him one time in Philadelphia, and then he passed away on my birthday in 1999. Oh, wow. Well, it's a good thing you got a chance to meet him, yeah. Yeah, how was that meeting yeah. like? Yeah, it was just a backstage thing. I was it was something some type of an awards program. Okay. Um, I had actually met his attorney years ago, before I even met him, because we were talking about, you know, he was trying to help me get a record deal. I finally got a deal, um, but I didn't use the attorney. But I still kept in touch with him. His name was Lloyd uh, Remick, and uh, and then I was at this this show. I can't remember why we were there, but there was a group called UNV. Um, they had a song out called Something's Going On, and they were there. They were from my hometown. And we were up there with them, and I got a chance to get backstage, and Grover was back there and got a chance to say hello and shook his hand and told him how much I liked his playing. That was about the oh. size of it, though. Okay, okay, good, good. All right, let me welcome to the chat room Joe um, from Germany. Hey, Joe, and Ollie is in the chat room as well. If you would like to join the chat room, please go to TalkingSmoothJazz.com and click on Tim Cunningham's picture, and that will bring you into the chat room. The phone number is 646-716-5485, 646 uh, Mike, did you have a question? Yeah, I wanted to ask him. I know you you went old school with uh, UNV, man. That, that's that's some old school R and B right there. But um, <laughs> yeah, I definitely wanted to ask you. One of the singers. No, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of good singers out there. But I want to ask you. You mentioned that you know people in today's uh, I guess contemporary jazz uh, crowd they are into the R and B and stuff like that. And how do you feel about artists, jazz artists, that do cover tunes of R and B? and old-school R&B songs, and people kind of not really considering it jazz or they're kind of looking at it kind of sideways because it's not, you know, the jazz from the old days and things like that because, you know, we got to get a new crowd in to the uh, genre. And I think that doing covers and, and, and turning, you know, tunes into jazz tunes like that, I, I think it's a good thing. So what are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely a good thing. And, you know, but honestly, it's been going on for years. I mean, Sanborn and those guys back then, they were taking songs. You know, even Grover took a, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the pop song that he did. Um, but, I mean, they, we've taken songs. You know, but, you know the, but the reason for that is airplay. A lot of times, mm-hmm. for us as jazz artists, we're going to get a much better chance of getting some R&B radio or getting radio, period, if we play something that people recognize first. Because we don't get the heavy rotation like, you know, a vocalist. So people can't really get into our music because they're only hearing it a few times. But if you do something with a vocalist, like Grover did with, um, with uh, Just the Two of Us, that was a huge song. 
And that was the song that got that album onto pop radio, into into big time R and B radio. It wasn't just on jazz radio because that al- that album sold over a million copies. But if it had not been for Bill Withers and that song, that pro- that album probably wouldn't have sold as much. And you know, like I said, if when people hear something they like or they recognize, it gives us a better chance. And the, the reason why I did my live CD, I did all covers. And people like it because they they recognize the tunes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's definitely something that we need to to continue. But it, like I said, it, it kind of gets our foot in the door. And for people to then then once they hear that one song they recognize, then they listen to the rest of the album. And hopefully, they find something they like of the original material. Okay. Now, I am going to be playing music from two of Tim's CD, uh, Tim Cunningham Live and the Reflection CD. Um, The live CD, as Tim said, is covers, um, are covers, and I'm going to play um, All I Do, which is a favorite of mine, um, and the other one is called Reasons um, that he does from live and then on the from the reflection cd i'm going to play surrendered soul and love is a gift and i'm going to start with surrendered soul because this is the song that's playing on timcunningham.com and when i first heard it i text i emailed um tim on facebook and asked him what was the name of this song that was playing so tell me about surrendered soul um that my my buddy and my uh, my buddy uh, that I've been playing with for years, about 20, we've been knowing each other since, uh, oh, God, 25 years or so. Um, he came up with the tune with the actual track, and I came up with the melody. That's how we create um, our songs. Uh, he basically works in Arkansas, and he sends me the tracks. I do my track here, my sax track here, and I email it back to him. He mixes it down. So that the one, out of the 12 tracks he gave me, that track was just like when I played the melody, it was just like it came together so easily. I mean, the first thing out of my instrument was that melody, and it was just it just came together so well, and which is why it's the first tune on the album. And uh, and then somebody, uh, one of one of my fans uh, on Facebook, she said, um, you know, a good title for the song would be Surrendered Soul. So that's how that's how it kind of mm. came together. Yeah. Wow. People ask me about about. Song song titles. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily anything that really gives you any inspiration. It's just something that maybe sounds good, or you may like. You know, just just might whatever the title of the song we come up with just kind of fits the song, whether it's you know fast, mid tempo, or slow. So. Oh. Okay. All right. This is surrendered soul, and this is from the Reflections CD.
I like that. That was surrendered yeah, that was nice. soul. Yeah, isn't that nice? I like that. A couple of yeah, comments from really the nice. chat room about this song. Joe from Germany says, always been a big fan of Tim, and maybe his biggest fan in Germany. And Ollie said he just came in, oh. and that is his jam. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty nice. I like that. That's I like nice. That. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, now I've got to ask you, uh, Tim. I know I'm going another direction. Terry doesn't want me to go into, <laughs> but i got to go into this direction, okay? It's, <laughs> okay. it's sports-related. Um, yeah. it's, it's in your Bible. You was a defensive back at Michigan State, and, uh, and uh, you got you you signed a um, trade in contract with my all-time favorite team, the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> How was that experience? <laughs> I am Man, a Cowboys fan for for to 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 the heart. I bleed blue and gray. Okay. Yes. Okay. Cowboys. Here, here's, here's my Cowboys story. Um, <laughs> I was honorable mention all Big Ten my sophomore senior year, so I got a little bit of notoriety. Um, they came up. I didn't get drafted. They came up to me. They, they sent a banker up to sign three of us as, as free agents. At that time, the Cowboys were signing, you know, 25, 30 free agents, and you'd have like 125 guys in camp. So I was not done with my degree. Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't about to graduate because I had 30 credits to finish because I went from music to telecommunications. The music was just a little bit too difficult for me in terms of, getting my degree, they said it might be take me five, six years to get it because there were so many one-credit courses. So anyway, they came up. They offered me a $1,000 signing bonus and 40000 bucks. I mean, this is 1984. Granted, you know, you know, it was probably decent money back then. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to go. I went to school to get my degree. That was my focal point, and I wanted to do that before I did anything else. So once you sign the pro contract, you lose the extra year on your scholarship. Yep. Because I played as a freshman. I started as a freshman, so I played all four years, and I had that extra year, that fifth year on the scholarship to use to, you know, room and board, all tuition, books, so on and so forth. So I stayed in school. I turned it down. I stayed in school. And the funny thing is the one team, that offered me a free agent contract. I hated growing <laughs> up. That's I hated the Cowboys. Wow. I, and I don't know if it's because they, they won a lot. I respected Tom Landry. So I love Tom Landry. But I just hated the Cowboys. I actually got a chance to meet Bob Hayes. Wow. Down at uh, Florida A&M. Uh, back, I, I did the national anthem at one of the uh, black college football games. And I got a chance to meet him, and I and I I kind of teased him about um, he had his hands in his pockets in that in that ice ball back in the '60s. And he's like, man, you know you're not running, <laughs> you know you weren't gonna run a Roddy and his hands in his pants. He's like, oh man, that's cold. <laughs> so, but no, that was, I hated the Cowboys. And then I met a friend of I don't know if you remember Howard Richards, but he played guard for the Cowboys back in the in the '80s. He's here in St. Louis. And I got a chance to meet him, and we were we, we always talk about that. Man, we would have been teammates. <laughs> wow, that's when great. You, when you look at a game now, do you often, mm-hmm. do you think to yourself, if I was playing, I would have done this? Uh, Technique-wise, yes. I do look at some – because I play strong safety. So I look at some of the guys now and say, I, you know, I, I look at how maybe I would have approached the tackle or how may, maybe how I would, my footwork or my uh, technique in terms of playing 
you know, the, the the guard coming out at me, something like that. But other than that, not really. Not I, I miss it, but at the same time, especially now when I'm hearing about all these injuries and these mm-hmm. concussions and stuff, it was like, oh my God, I think I I did the <laughs> I did the right thing. Oh but, my uh, goodness! You know. And my and my roommate was the you know Carl Banks was the, the third guy yes. picked in the draft in '84. Wow. He brought me up there and took me to a game and stuff. He actually gave me money to, to get started in the music industry. Wow. Yeah. And see, from on from my end, the only sports I follow are the Olympics. I don't follow football, basketball, baseball, none of that. But I have family members that are like Mike. They are diehard Cowboy fans, diehard, and will defend them to the end. And so, you know, I'll watch a cow. If it's a Super Bowl game and the Cowboys are in it, then I'll watch it. But other than that, I'm not, I'm not into sports at all. So when I saw this, I, and I saw that you had been offered this contract by the Dallas Cowboys, I immediately thought of you, Mike. I just knew. <laughs> <laughs> you knew I was going to ask him that, huh? You knew. I, yes. I was going to ask him that question. Yes, indeed. Yes, I immediately thought of you. I was like, okay. Mm-mm-mm. Well, wow. I'm, I'm, a very spirit, I'm a very spiritual person, so when I look back at that now, I say that was God's uh, telling me that, hey, you don't need to do this. I'm setting you up with the worst team, the team that you hated the most. So you don't need to do this. So I want you to follow your music career, and that's you know that's that's the way I look at that. But it, I don't know. It just may have been a, uh, a, a just a coincidence, but <laughs> but that's the way I look at it. It's like God didn't want me to play football in the NFL. Well, Why did you hate them well, that's so cool. much? That's- <laughs> Everybody hates what? the Cowboys, Terry. That's that's just that's just a national thing. Everybody hates the Cowboys, even from the '80s to now. They hated the Cowboys, though. But that's mm. all right, Tim. I mean, Tim, you're you're still cool with me, even though you hate them because you because you signed the contract. So you're no, still man, cool with me. The Cowboys, I have a much. Re- you know, I I have to be honest with you, man. I was very upset the way Tom Landry went out. I didn't, yeah. you know, because I had respected him so much as a coach. He wasn't a guy who screamed and yelled a lot. And he had good teams. I mean, you got to give the Cowboys credit. They were a great football team. They're still a great organization. Mm-hmm. Jerry's struggling right now because he needs a general manager, but he, <laughs> he, yeah, he just won't let it go. But he needs to let it go. That's oh, my goodness. That's, that's true. Now, 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 Tim, I know that this is a music interview, so we got to get nice to the music. Now, now I know Trey about how they're going to keep talking about sports. Cause see, I can throw sports all day, okay? So we're going to get back to the music. <laughs> I know Terry is back there like, oh, God, he's still talking no. about the Cowboys. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Not at all, not at all. Uh, But, Tim, I wanted to know, after you left high school, what did you do musically to get your career started? Um, I started playing, well, there was a couple local places I used to play um, in town in Lansing, Michigan. I used to go down and sit in with this band on Monday nights. They were doing all blues, which I learned a lot from the blues. And uh, then I joined this other band. They were doing more like wedding stuff, uh, private parties, and uh, and then I ventured off and started my own group. So, and we did our first show out in East Lansing, and then st- things started to grow from there. Um, I put together some money 
and put together a demo. Like I think we put together like four tracks, and we started sending it out to various record labels. And ironically, um, Atlantic Records was the only label that even took the time to send me a letter back and say, no, it just doesn't fit for us right now. Wow. So I, I took the demo, and we added six more songs. I think that was the first CD. And we, it was Sax Change Operation was the name of the CD. And uh, took that demo and made it into a full album. And then we, did a, we started sending that out, and we did a second album, and we got, this, we got the deal off of the second album. So um, that's, that's kind of how things came about. Um, back, you know, back when I got my record deal with Atlantic, and like I said, it, ironically, because Atlantic Records is mm-hmm. <laughs> the label that I ended up signing with back in 1994. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, cool. All right, I'm going to get to another song. Um, this song is All I Do, and this is from the live CD. Where was, um, what was the venue for the live CD? Where was that recorded? It it was a um, place called Jazz on Broadway in Alton, Illinois, which is just across the uh, the bridge from uh, St. Louis. So um, we uh, did the. We, I think we recorded probably like 15 songs, and I took uh, the best ones that the best recordings and ones that I liked, and uh, we did some overdubs in the studio. But uh, it's pretty much all live. Okay. All right. From the Tim Cunningham live disc, this is all I do. Thank you. 
the live CD. That was all I do from his um, Tim Cunningham's live CD. You can find his music on his website, timcunningham.com, and it's also available on Amazon. Um, Tim, I read that you uh, gave, you give your phone number out to your fans. Do you still do that? Yeah. Yeah, I still do. It's, uh, it's on my business card. So from time to time, well, people, the funny thing is, they really don't, they don't use it. i <laughs> A lot of them think, like, oh, he's not going to pick up the phone. But every now and then, I'll say maybe once every couple of months or so, mm-hmm. somebody will call me and say, hey, I'm just trying, I'm calling for Tim Cunningham. I'm like, well, this is him. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but then there's a couple other people that will call me and say, hey, Tim, where are you going to be at tonight? And blah, blah. You know, of course, the, the information's on the website, so they're just kind of calling to chat with me, which is fine. I don't care. Um, but yeah, I, oh. I, I still give out the number. Wow, hmm. that's cool. Well, but do you do you not get concerned with you know people calling you you because know, you don't know who's calling you and and you know what a, what a person might say or do or I mean, with, when you're giving out your phone number that doesn't concern you at all. No, it doesn't bother me whatsoever. Hmm. Um, if I were if, you know I don't know. If I were a bigger name artist like a David Sanborn or something like that, maybe I could have some cause for concern. But no, it doesn't bother me whatsoever. Uh, I think people appreciate the fact that they can pick up the phone and actually talk to someone, or you know, maybe if I get when I get to the next level, maybe it'll be just a phone number where people can <laughs> leave a message or something. But I'm just not there yet. Wow. <laughs> oh, okay. But that's cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, because yeah. even for most independent artists, I, I don't know too many independent artists are like, you know, the they we do know that. that. Right. They really actually yeah, will yeah. say, yo, that's my number, you know, and yeah. everything. You know, especially the fans. I mean, like to me or you, it's very cool. But like like you said, you know, some fan that's sitting there with all your CDs and lay it out for you to sign and all that kind of stuff, you're like, I don't know if it's going to be a problem or not. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> that's right. cool. Right. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that one, Tim. I yeah, don't know about that one. but that's cool. I mean, that's very cool. Mm-hmm. Oh man. 
Okay, so now speaking of selling CDs, um, you have to tell us about this story at the Lansing Jazz Fest, about the number of CDs that you sold. Oh, my God, yeah. we. It was uh, probably about four or five years ago, and uh, we were there, and oh, my Lord, it was <laughs> had to be like about 7,500 people there. And you have to understand, this is on a street, so it's mm-hmm. not, I mean, it's wide, but it's not that wide. So there were, I think they said in excess of 7,500 people there, and the police were trying to get down the street with an, I think, to pick up somebody with an ambulance or whatever. They were having a hard time getting through with all these people. And right at the end of the show, we had this mad rush of people trying to buy CDs, and it was like crazy. And we could not even get to the back because there were so many people to try to sell CDs at the, at the CD table. They all came to the front desk, to the front um, uh, stage, and we sold 300, I think, I think the number was 396 CDs. Wow. So crazy. So we, 300. Wow. I don't even know artists that even bring that many with them to, to a concert, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Let alone sell that many. Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> you know, and I, well, I think we brought that many boxes because you know, number one, it's my hometown, and we. Okay. And number two, it was a it was a new CD, and uh, people hadn't seen it yet. And it was, I mean, it was brand new. We had just, I mean, I think we had just picked them up like the week of the show, like Monday or Tuesday, and the show was that Friday or Saturday. Mm-mm. So we expected that we would sell. I expected we'd at least sell a couple hundred, but I said, "Hey, let's bring at least 500 CDs." You never know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we ended up selling almost all of them. Wow, that's crazy. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that was that yeah. was that was back yeah. in 2006. So wow. Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Goodness. Mm-mm-mm. All right, let's get to another song. So, Tim, the next song I chose from the live CD is Reason. So why did you choose this one? Always a big fan of Earth, Wind & Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, love that sax solo at the end um, of the song. And uh, the melody flowed real well. I, when I choose a song, you know, <laughs> it has to be something that I can literally play and not have too many problems because the different vocal styles, I mean, it, it just depends on the artist. You know, you can't follow some of these songs. It's just, just impossible because they're all over the place. But people like Luther Vandross and Stevie Wonder, Anita Baker, their melodies flow so easily and it's easy to play on a, you know, on an instrument. So that was one other major reason why I chose that song. And, and Earth, Wind & Fire, Fire, another group that I play a lot of songs from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, from the Tim Cunningham live CD, this is Reasons.
All right, that was Tim's cover of Reasons, and that is from the live CD. Again, his music is available on timcunningham.com and also on Amazon. You can follow him on Twitter at TCFanClub01. All right, so now, Tim, you have some acting in your background. Tell us about that. Oh, we, uh, <laughs> back when I was living in Chicago, um, I was playing a, a club called the Jazz Bulls, and I, this lady came in and said she needed some musicians to uh, do some scenes for this TV show, The Untouchables. And I said, hey, that'd be great. So we, uh, I ended up doing like three different uh, uh, episodes. Um, and it's weird acting. You, you get in makeup at 6.30 in the morning, get into your clothes, and we normally, we normally wouldn't get called to like 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And we shoot like a two-minute scene for like an hour and a half, two hours. Wow. So uh, I got a chance. I think out of the three episodes, I was in two of the episodes. Yeah, I think the third one got cut. And uh, I had the first one I did, though, I had a, a spot with um, – uh, and we were, of course, in a in a speakeasy uh, because the scenes were back in the '40s, and um, the guy uh, was pulling some some money out of a hat. That, no, he pulled the hat off of my head, and he put to put a bunch of money in the hat, and he put it on my head. So that was like my <laughs> my big claim to fame. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and of course, I'm trying to search for the episode, and I can't find it. So. Mm. But yeah, that was my that was my uh, TV acting debut, and then I did the uh, theme song for the Bertice Berry Show, which was on uh, uh, the market back in '93. Okay. I have a comment from Joe in Germany regarding the Reasons song. He says a cover mm-hmm. version is only good if it flows around the original, and this one does it. Yeah, you know what? I try to keep it. I try to keep it as close as I possibly can. Even when they were doing the uh, uh, down towards the end of the song, where Philip Bailey's kind of uh, improvising, can't find the reasons why I love. I was trying to follow all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, even down to down to the solo where um, he was playing some stuff at the end. I was trying to copy some of that as well. So. Because I think it just keeps people in tune with the song. I think when you change the song a little bit, I mean, too much, I think people get a little disengaged and and disinterested. But um, because I heard a version of Mr. Magic the other day by one of the guitar players. I can't think of who it was. But it was so far away from Mr. Magic. It was like, why didn't you just do another song? (laughs) I'm not mm. <laughs> <laughs> still a nice song, don't get me wrong, but it's like, wow, it was so, I mean, it wasn't even close. I mean, if you didn't see the title on the, because I was listening to it in, in the car on XM Radio, if, you, if I didn't see the title, I wouldn't know what it was, because the bridge was nothing like Mr. Magic, the original song, and it was just so different. Mm. Okay. Now, are you working on new music? I am um, doing some stuff with a new producer. Uh, his name is Darius Savage, a uh, guy I found here in St. Louis. And we're actually working on some stuff now. We're trying to do some stuff with another artist. Her name is Anita Jackson, who's a very fine vocalist. So, And I've got a camera, so we're trying to work on the, some video as well. Just trying to find uh, the extra time 
you know, with working and uh, doing the gigs and and uh, um, going in and out of town. We were in Detroit last week doing a show with, um, oh, who do we open for? Slave. Wow. So, uh, mm-hmm. and then they've asked to come back next month on August the 10th to open for Shante Moore. Oh, okay. Now, I, I want to ask you about Luther because I read that you also opened for him. What was that like? Did you get a chance to meet him afterwards? I, You know, I did not get a chance to meet him. I would have loved ah. to. I was at the uh, Cincinnati Jazz Fest. Okay. And uh, we we did that show five years in a row. And there was Patti LaBelle. We were standing on the They let me stand on the stage for uh uh, some of the groups, Frankie Beverly, we were like 30 feet away, like on the stage, and it was like unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But no, I didn't get a chance to meet them. Uh, we opened up for a lot of those acts, and, you know, we're just like the fans. We're limited to, <laughs> we have limited access. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, I want to ask you, now, 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 being in the music business for as long as you have been uh, in the music business, um, how do you feel about the change with the the loss of the stations and uh, you know the 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 advent of uh, you know social media with the um, you know now like like we mentioned earlier you sold 399 CDs whereas nowadays people can just buy singles now you know how do you feel about the the um, the different changes? Well, like I said, we live in a different industry, a different area now era now where. You know, it's just like with computer. The computer has totally changed the music business altogether. Uh, back when I recorded uh, uh, my CD with uh, Atlantic Records, we were using two-inch tape. And right in the middle of my recording, the dat, the uh, the ADATs came out. So that kind of changed things around. And then, of course, the um, the digital audio workstations with the computers started coming out so that just made it just made the computer made things cheaper and cheaper and cheaper for us to produce music whereas when we were on the two inch tape i mean you had to buy a reel which was 150 bucks a piece and you could get maybe three songs on it so and then you had to buy studio time because obviously none of us had these big forty thousand dollar studer uh recording machines that um that you had to use to record so things have gotten cheaper and cheaper, and um, now, you know, uh, with all the stations dying off because of the internet, is it's it's kind of a blessing, uh, and uh, and it, and it hurts at the same time. You know, it's kind of a double-edged sword because you know we can do things cheaper, we can record, but at the same time, you know, there's so many stations on the, on the internet people can listen. There's so many other ways people can listen to to music as opposed to the radio that, uh, you know, it kind of killed all the jazz stations. And unfortunately, I know that, God, maybe there's, what, 20 stations left in the country? I don't yeah. know. Ooh, if that. that. If that. Yeah, yeah. If, if that. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of the jazz stations. And, but for me, a lot of the, the format I kind of disagreed with. I didn't, me personally, I like what WJZZ was doing in Detroit, and I was playing pretty much all smooth jazz stuff, like, you know, Anita Baker, blah, 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 blah. But when you heard the smooth jazz format, I mean, I would hear Phil Collins. I would hear <laughs> Bette Midler. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, guess, I guess the idea behind that was to try to get people who are listening to a pop radio to flip over to that station and, 
get a little bit of, you know, a pop artist plus you listen to some smooth jazz artists that you might like. And I get that piece, but at the same time, I just, I don't know, I just thought if you if they just had a format where it was just all jazz artists, I think it, I, would, I just thought it would be a lot cooler. So, so I don't know. I just and, and at the same, at the, in the other, I think the other part of this is the fact that when you think about kids that are coming up today, how many of them are playing instruments, and 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 again. I'm sorry, and also how many of them have access to an instrument because, you know, when I was in school, instruments were given to us. Mm-hmm. We didn't have to buy an instrument. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. there's a ton of kids out there who want to play, but they don't have an instrument because mom and dad can't afford it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a big part of, you know, uh, why this, we're kind of we're stuck. Uh, my university is now in Detroit. Michigan State has started the program in Detroit, and they're giving school, uh, kids lessons and the instruments. So hopefully some other schools will start catching on and doing the same thing. Okay. All right. Um, I wanted to let you know that Ollie in the chat room said, if they make good music like Tim, you will sell the whole CD. <laughs> That's good. That's cool. That's cool. That's good. Thank you for that, Ollie. Well, uh, so where are you playing next, Tim? And before you, we let you go, I'm going to close the show with Love is a Gift. So I'd like for you to tell us about okay. this song as well. But where are you playing next? Oh, wow. Playing tonight um, at Troy's Jazz Gallery. I have a regular gig there on Fridays, and sometimes we're there on Saturdays. And I'm also playing with Theo Peoples right before that. So I have two gigs tonight. Uh, okay. He is the former lead singer for uh, T- The Temptations and The Four Tops. He's from St. Louis, phenomenal singer. And then we're opening uh, for Shantae, and then we're going to open for Spira Jara and uh, Mindy A. Bear on August 30th. Oh, my goodness. All right. Okay, tell me about Love is a Gift. Love is a Gift, uh, just a tune. Another track that Darren sent me um, that just really stood out, um, the first time I played it in, in the studio, it was just, it flowed really, really well. And um, in terms of the, the title of the song, it just, it just, I think actually Darren came up with that title. He just said, hey, it sounds like this, Love is a Gift. So that's what we entitled it. And people like, people really, a lot of people that told me that that was their favorite track on the CD. Mm-hmm. But you know, those see that like ballads, you know, and, and I, I, I love to play ballads. And uh, that's just kind of how it came together. Is again one of those songs that just kind of came together really, really quickly. When you just know when you hear the track and you play the melody. When I played the melody in the studio, it just really flowed for me. So. Okay. All right. Love is a gift is from the Reflection CD. Thank you, Tim, for giving Mike and I an opportunity to speak with you. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I also want to thank Daryl McAllister. He referred um, Tim to us, so thank you, Daryl, for that as well. All right, Mike, we have about five minutes to go. The song is like about five minutes, so I'm going to go ahead and close the show. Um, thank you to those in the guest room, Joe from Germany, Ollie J. thank you. Uh, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Talking Smooth Jazz with your host, <clears throat> the Jazz Queen. And Mike Reynolds. And we look forward to talking smooth jazz with you again next time. This is Love is a Gift. Thanks again, Tim. Thank you. Have a good one.
Thank you for listening to Talking Smooth Jazz. Please visit our website, TalkingSmoothJazz.com and Mastermind-Entertainment.com. Join our Facebook fan and group pages and follow us on Twitter at Jazz underscore Queen and The Daily Grind. That's T-H-A Daily Grind.